Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of The Breakdown. We've got a nice big slate to go over today, and thankfully, I do not have to do it by myself. We got Sam back from The Source Podcast. Had a ton of fun breaking the slate down with you last week, man. Thanks for coming back. How's it going today? It's going great. You know, we got a big slate to go over. Um, I wish the Knicks were playing better, uh, but under, you know, under the circumstances, I know it's been it's a tough road stretch they got going, but I had a good NBA weekend, so looking to build on it. I had a good day yesterday. Got a little lucky buying the Warriors down to 11 and a half. Uh, that Steph three at the end of the game just just knew, made me feel like, all right, I, I got good things going for me. So I'm glad to be on the breakdown today so we can uh, hopefully share some of that charm. Dude, I'm glad you're on a good streak. So I actually decided I I moved stuff over to Betstamp now for the bets I'm doing. And I've had, I think I'm on three positive days in a row I, on that real quick on that Golden State game. I had Golden State's team total over Oklahoma City under and then minus 10 on Golden State. Ooh. I thought I was like, I'm going to lose all three of these. And I ended up winning two or three. So I was like, all right, I can I can handle that. Not bad. <laughs> the beautiful thing for me is I had a Golden State minus 11 in parlays. So I hedged oh, at plus 12 and a half and 14 and a half. Oh, that's smart. Because yep. that's well, that's what it was live. So yep. uh, kind of got a little lucky there. Yeah. But, um, you know, we'll take what we can get. Sometimes the dice just roll in your favor. Absolutely, man. Well, let's just uh, let's jump in here and we'll we'll try to find some spots. So uh, first game up today, we have the Suns on a back to back going to the 76ers. Philadelphia minus one. I think it might be um, one and a half now, but one, one and a half. And the totals at 218. Any thoughts you have on this one? You know, to be honest, I really wanted to have a play on this game because it looks like it's going to be the best game on the slate. And, you know, everyone, you know, if it's the game you're going to watch, um, you definitely want to have something on it, obviously, as a degen like myself. But I really could not find an edge in this game. I don't have one. I liked the under until I saw what it was at. Um, yeah. Phoenix on a three and four back to back. Phoenix has won the last four matches between these two. I mean, there are a lot of numbers I can go into to show why I don't have an edge. But the long story short here is that I don't have one. I don't think either team plays too well on the rest schedule that they're on. Uh, and I couldn't find any numbers showing that Suns are too porous against centers for Embiid or that the uh, Sixers are too porous against guards like Paul and Booker. So I don't really have anything I can find on this game. Great, man. And yeah, I'm I'm actually with you that stuff kind of points both directions here. Uh, for a while, I was kind of interested in Philadelphia when they played at home playing against them because they weren't playing very well at home, but they have been better in their last 15. They're six and three and they're, you know, last 15 games overall, but nine at home uh, averaged 109.2 points and have had a plus minus of 4.8. So that's been better than earlier in the year. Um, the, the good thing about the Suns is on the road lately, their defensive rating, um, in their last 15 has been, and again, it's not 15 games, but their last 15 overall 104.4 on the road and 111.4 at home. So they've been playing some pretty good defense on the road. They're also six and one against the spread in their last seven road games. While the 76ers are just three, seven and one against the spread in their last 11 at home against a team with a winning record. That's one of the things I think here is that overall Philadelphia has had a little bit uh, of a soft strength of schedule, I would say, where it hasn't been quite as true for Phoenix and Phoenix has been on a really solid run. So this isn't. Um, certainly isn't my favorite spot of the entire day or anything, but at whenever the Suns are getting points, I, I tend to lean a little bit toward liking them getting those points. So it's a, it's a small amount. It's close to a pick game, but I think that, uh, 
I, I like a little bit of an edge toward the Suns here, but nothing massive. Yeah, I think it's closer. Um, I think last I checked, let me look at um, Vegas Insiders to confirm because I think that uh, the world's agreeing with you. It's down to okay. Yeah, it. it I was at a pick'em earlier today. It's back up to uh, one now. So never mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I was gonna say it looks like the world does like Phoenix getting points, um, but. I do like that analysis as well. Uh, Phoenix, uh, Philly has had somewhat easy strengths of schedule, although um, I will say that their last, um, their first half against Dallas was incredibly impressive. The second half, not so much. Um, yeah. But it did show a lot for them. Uh, and they have had a, a good couple of previous games, I think, against decent opponents. I can't remember necessarily. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Suns getting points is always value. I mean, when you look at how talented that team is, how well coached they are and how yeah. well they've been playing defensively on the road. The reason I liked the under is because of how well both teams have been playing defensively in their respective splits, Sixers at home as well, and on their rest schedules. But sadly, I just can't – two teams this talented, I just don't think I can take a 217. Yeah, totals on, the, totals on both of these teams can be tricky. Um, so I'm with you. All right, so I know the next game is one you're interested in. So let's move on to the Celtics and the Nets. Boston minus eight and a half. The total's 216 and a half. Uh, lots of drama in Brooklyn. So what are you thinking here? Um, so I'm from Brooklyn, and everyone always asks me why I'm not a Brooklyn fan, as if, you know, people weren't allowed to be NBA fans uh, in New York before they moved to the Barclays Center. Um, so I always hold a little bit of a grudge against them for that. But <laughs> in all seriousness, um, Brooklyn, the things that go for them in this matchup are – not necessarily true without their three best players. They're great on one day of rest, but not necessarily without their three best players. Uh, Boston, as we've discussed in last week's uh, episode, have the best defensive rating in the league uh, since January 1st by three whole points. They've been giving team fits in this scenario. The Nets are 29th, so there's a huge disparity there. The Nets are 5-12 and 12 straight up without Kevin Durant. That was, I was looking at that before I even uh, heard the hard news. Boston has won five of their last seven games, uh, are sorry, five uh, have won their last five straight games and seven of their last eight. Six of those seven wins came by at least nine points, and they held all but at one of those opponents to under 100 points in each of those games. The Nets are 23rd in uh, bench minutes per game, so the guys replacing Kyrie and Harden are not necessarily going to be the biggest contributors, and the guys who replace them are not going to be big contributors at all. Brooklyn's obviously lost eight straight. Six of those have been by double digits. And Boston's eight and four is road road uh, favorites against the spread. So I really do like Boston here to win this game by 10 plus points. I like the eight and a half. Yeah, man, I'm 100% with you. Boston just feels like one of those teams that gets really hot. You know, this is like the run that Dallas had defensively up until about the end of January. And then they, they stumbled a little. I mean, they're going to be a good defense, no doubt. But Boston feels like they're just on one of those defensive heaters right now. Just to add to the stats you already shared, um, defensive rating of 95.7 in their last five away from home, which is just filthy. Like for context, the best defense, I'd have to go look, but the best, best defensive rating in the league this year for the season is probably 102, 104, 103, 104, all the way up yeah. to 104 now. So maybe, yeah. So, so 95.7 is pretty insane. And granted it's a short time period, but that's how well they've been playing lately. Also, on one day of rest, uh, Boston has an offensive rating of 115.1, which is pretty solid for them, and a defensive rating of 96.4. So it's just another one of those metrics to say good defensive spot for them. 
Brooklyn's played nine of their last 11 games on the road. So they've been on a long road trip. And this is like one of those take it with a grain of salt things, you know, that I throw in sometimes, but I'll just say it anyway. They've had a road trip of four more games only twice this year. And in each instance, they didn't play well in their first game back home. They lost 99-117 to Golden State and 96-106 to the Lakers. So they scored under 100 in both of those cases. So I just throw that as another log on the fire to say this is a terrible spot for Brooklyn. Boston is hot, and I expect them to come out and be pretty dominant today. Absolutely. And one thing I want to point out before we move on is Teams with a new head coach, especially a young guy like Yume Adoku, I hope I'm pronouncing his name uh, correctly, they really sometimes need time to gel, and uh, especially on the offensive end. So it's really encouraging seeing a team uh, under a new head coach like this being the best defensive team in the league, at least in the last two months for sure. Uh, their rating, as I mentioned, three points lower than Dallas, who's at 104. They're at yeah. 101 right now, which is absurd for a two month for a month and a half span and i really just wanted to point out that even with the offense fluctuating sometimes now once you see their offense gets on track they they look really really good that their defense has been pretty stable pretty much all year so a lot of credit to uh ime Odoku there uh, and that boston celtics organization they've really uh kind of endured a really tough first half of the season they look to really be turning it on right now yeah absolutely this is a spot too where another thing you might consider is uh, the Nets team total under potentially yeah. too with all these all these people out. So definitely. Um. All right. Well, but yeah, that ne- Celtics game is going to be one of my best bets. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I love it too. It's a it's a great one. Uh, next up, we got the Pacers at the Hawks. Atlanta is minus nine and a half now. Uh, at least last time I looked, and two twenty six and a half is the total. Obviously, we had the trade with Karis LeVert going to the Cavs, and the Pacers getting nothing back that they'll use this year, and potentially other trades uh, coming for the Pacers. So, what do you think for this game? Yeah, this is another one of those games. Um, I know that's this is one of the downsides of doing uh, the show earlier in the day because as we experienced with that Nuggets game last week. Teams rule out players a lot late. And looking at the injury report in this game, Terry Taylor, John Collins, Gallinari, Lou Williams, Brogdon, and uh, Isaiah Jackson are all game-time decisions. Wow. I just – there's just so much fluctuation that could come both with this line and with my opinion on this game that I, I really have to wait until I get injury reports to uh, make a decision on this one. I know it's not necessarily what viewers want to hear, Um <laughs> But the fact of the matter is that uh, we try to remain on the smart side of things. Uh, so I, I just I just can't make a call on this one until until I know a little more about it. Yeah. Do you is there something that could happen that would make you really like one side or another in this game? Certain people being ruled in or out or different things or. Yeah. So if Terry Taylor and Isaiah Jackson are both ruled out. For Indiana, I, I really like Atlanta because Sabonis would be the only guy to be the uh, to be defending the paint there. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Let me pull them up. But I do know that Indiana is really, really bad with points in the paint. Yeah, they average uh, – they give up 50 points in the paint per game. And in the last three games, that's been uh, 58. So they Man. really struggle um, wow. with big men. And if – Collins is playing. That's another part of this caveat. If Collins is playing and Jackson and Taylor are both not playing, that leaves the only other big quote unquote besides Sabonis to uh, either be Goga Batadze, depending on if he plays, uh, and O'Shea Brissett. 
Uh, O'Shea Brissett's not really tall enough, but Tadze's not necessarily mobile enough to keep up with Collins. Maybe Capella, but Capella's still a great offensive rebounder. So if that's the case, if Jackson and Taylor are both out and Collins is in, I definitely lean Atlanta. Awesome. Yeah, man, this was one of the games where I honestly had the least, and it's partly because of what you said with all the variables that are out there. I do think just bigger picture, Atlanta has definitely been playing better lately, and especially offensively. They scored 120 points in five out of their last eight. Usually five out of eight it doesn't do a lot for me, but 120 is a lot of points. So five out of the last eight at that level, I think is pretty good. In their last nine at home, they're shooting 50.8 from the field and 39.3 from three-point range. So really solid on both counts there. They've been um, really good. Yeah, they've been really good offensively. So that's where I would say, like, I definitely, what I wrestled with here is I liked Atlanta as, as soon as I saw this game. The spread's decently wide and the Pacers are just so unpredictable. Um, it almost feels like it doesn't matter who's playing for them. Sometimes they're just really up and down regardless. Um, and so this is a game I don't have a ton of interest in, but it, I think if I was going to have interest in any side, it would be Atlanta. And I think some of those factors that you shared are great ones to watch for on the Atlanta side. Yeah. One more thing I will say um, that I think is probably going to be undervalued today. And I don't know the line, but I'm going to try to find it right now. So the Pacers moving off of Karis LeVert get, bring a lot of questions and a lot of people wonder what they're really doing there. But I think if you've watched any Pacers basketball this year, you'll realize how special Chris Duarte been. Hmm. Chris Duarte has been at that, at that two guard position. So with the Hawks being second worst in the league in points against uh, with shooting guards, because they are, uh, they give up, I believe, let me find the number. 20 almost 24 points a game against shooting guards if i could find chris duarte's points prop here give me one second it's not up perfect um <laughs> but whatever chris duarte's points prop is if it's under 17 i mean i i really like it um i really think chris duarte has a big game here he's trying to prove himself and why he's worthy being that shooting guard guy for them and if you've seen him play he really does take a lot of these shots and i'm sure with a lot of guys out, he's going to be a guy taking a lot of the outside shots, even if Sabonis takes a lot of the inside ones. So I like Chris Duarte's points prop here pretty much no matter what. Yeah, I like that a lot, man. And that speaks to something, too, where I think what I'm not confident in is that Indiana won't score in this game. Like, I think Atlanta will. I think Indiana scoring is a variable. But if you go, I have the numbers written down, but I don't need to share them all. If you look at the Pacers with and without Levert, it really doesn't matter offensively and defensively in terms of the actual numbers. So I think given someone like Duarte more room to get going and get hot, it might even be a better offensive spot for them than the lineup that they've been running out there recently. So, um, all right. Well, that's that's good on that game. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Another team that's gotten remade here recently, the Clippers getting uh getting norman powell and they're at the grizzlies memphis minus eight with a total of 228 in this one yeah uh this is another one of my favorite bets of the day it's very rare that i have two favorite bets of the day they're both spreads that are this large oh, let's do it um but i want to run through why because there's really a lot of reasoning and i want to make it quick so on two days rest, Memphis scores 118 points per game on 47% shooting from the field and 35% from three. They are the best rebounding team in the league with this split, averaging 51 rebounds per game and only giving up 40. 
The Clippers are the third worst team in the league in rebounding on one day's rest, giving up 47 per game and only getting 41 or 42. Clippers are 11 and 15 on the road this season. Memphis has had the fifth ranked defense since the start of January. The Clippers are 18th. The Clippers are 24th in offensive rating since January 1st. So they don't necessarily have either thing going for them. Memphis has won five of their last six and all five wins were by eight or more points. They scored at least 115 points in each of their last six games. They're 23 and 13 after a win against the spread and 10 and five against the spread with the rest advantage as well as 25 and 12 uh, against the spread versus Western Conference teams and 32 and 14 against the spread in non-divisional games. The final thing I want to end on is that Memphis is the number one team in points in the paint per game with, I believe, over 50. The Clippers are 27th in points in the paint allowed per game. And living, I have a Clippers fan as a roommate, believe it or not, those people exist. Um, and they're, one of their biggest problems, I've heard from him almost all day, every day, is how they cannot rebound. I think the Clippers get absolutely dominated on the boards in this game. John Morant is a guy who scores a lot of points in the paint, so he's going to be someone giving it to them, as well as Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson. I think the Clippers lose this game. I think the Grizzlies handle them easily. Dude, this is why I love having you on. That's a great case for the Grizzlies and a number of things that I hadn't seen before. So I, I love all of that. Uh, I'm not going to add a ton. I'm just going to add uh, one note and then one other angle that I looked at on this game. So whenever there's trades like this, you kind of wonder how long it'll take for a team to gel. So in that first game for Powell with the Clippers, he it looks great. He had a great game, 28 points, although he didn't do much in the other statistical categories, but he scored well. But they still lost, and they still didn't put up a good score overall. And they so, still gave up 137 points. Yeah, right. So there, there's plenty to I, I, that, and that's part of my point is like, even if he's good for them, even if he helps them on the scoring side, some it's not going to make up a big enough difference against a team like Memphis. The other angle that I like here is potentially a first half play on Memphis. So Memphis is eight and two in the first half at home in their last ten. Um, they're only five, three and two in the second half. Uh, that's straight up. But in addition, the Clippers have been not been good in the first half on the road in their last 10 games. They have a 96.4 offensive rating and 111.9 defensive rating over that time. They're only averaging 47.7 points in the first half in those games. Ooh. And they have a plus minus of minus 7.7 in the first half. So um, I, I'm with you on liking Memphis here. I just also think the first half skews pretty heavily toward the Memphis side. And uh, I, I think the line there was four and a half, I want to say, or five, and maybe it's five and a half now. But that's something else that I like here. Well, absolutely. And when you look at the Clippers' big wins recently, they've all been huge comebacks. That's right. That's they right. had to be down a lot to be yep. to get in that by position. Thirty or something. Yep. Yeah. Well, they had to be down by thirty in the first place, and I assume yep. a lot of that happened in the first half. So, right. uh, a, a lot of their players are big second half players, but there's only a certain amount you can ask them, Reggie Jackson and Norman Powell, to do. And that's another thing I wanted to point out: is this is not an indictment on how good the Clippers are as a full strength team. I mean, you put Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in here, and this is a very, very deep team, possibly the deepest in the league when you look at how well their reserves have played during the stretch. So, I mean, this is not an indictment on the Clippers. It's just with their health problems right now, their weaknesses are Memphis's strengths, and it's just it does not line up well for them. Yeah, that stuff you talked about with rebounding in the paint and stuff, that's just – That's my uh, main that's angle killer, man. It's game. killer. Yeah, well, there are killer. certain things – I feel like every game has – not necessarily a theme, but like a certain path 
that's going to be like teams have paths to victory. It's in every sport. While it's different in terms of what paths they those teams may take because it's different sports, they have paths. And the path here for the Grizzlies is right up their alley strength-wise. Yeah. Um, and the Clippers to win this game have to be able to rebound, have to be able to score with Memphis, have to be able to stop John Morant in the paint. There's just a lot of things they have to do in order to get this win. And that's not saying they can't do it. It's just saying it's much more likely for me that the other side is the case. Yeah. That's NBA, right? I mean, anything on any given night, but eight times out of ten or whatever it is, you know. You Listen, know I had the, I had the Cavaliers the other night against the against the uh, Pacers uh, minus five, and I believe the Pacers were ninety seven percent to cover at one point. Dude, I had that same bet. <laughs> it went it, hey, it went my way, so in I'm not complaining. In the first half, I was like, "Oh, this doesn't look good." And then they I was scored like, oh, what? Twelve points in the first quarter? I, yeah, I've never yeah, seen anything. Terrible. They shot two of like twenty three. I can't believe. Yep. Yep. Hey, but any team but the well. Pacers. Any team turned but the Pacers. Well. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Next up, we got a rematch here. The Rockets at the Pelicans. Pelicans minus nine. Total of 228 and a half. This game in Houston last time around was the Pelicans minus four. So a pretty or four and a half. Pretty significant difference on the line there. Also, Josh Hart, it looks like, is getting traded to Portland uh, with CJ McCollum coming back. So uh, obviously those players will not be involved in this game tonight. I think Nikhil Alexander Walker might. Also yes, be you're right. The deal. Yeah, you're right. So he's I don't know how much he plays, um, but he will also definitely be uh, a loss if he's a guy who plays a lot off the bench. Yeah. Um, but looking at this game, I mean, it's not necessarily a battle of the best teams, but there are some angles to look at it from. Uh, my favorite is not necessarily the side, it's the total, but I do have a play on both. Uh, Houston's the fourth worst team in the league on one day of rest in terms of their adjusted uh, efficiency differential at negative uh, 12.7. Um, New Orleans is 1-4 without Brandon Ingham and 7-3 seven, with, with him, so I think that speaks to how well he's been playing. I think he's been 25-5-5 five, and five since he's returned, so that's been a huge thing. Houston, I, we talked about this last week as well, one of, if not the worst defense uh, one of the worst, if not the worst defense in the league at uh, on one day of rest, giving up 115 and a half points per game on 47 percent shooting from the field, 34 percent from three. Um, it's worth noting that New Orleans is five and seven without Josh Hart, but I could not find how many of those games were also without Brandon Ingram um, right. since January 1st. Houston's had a defensive rating of 119. That's worse than the league. New Orleans is four, one and one as home favorites against the spread. The over is eight and one in divisional games. For Houston and Houston has put up at least a hundred in every game played since January 10th. They also have the fastest pace in the league. New Orleans has put up at least 110 in each of their last three games. Uh, Houston is top 10 in points in the paint per game, but New Orleans is top 10 in least points in the paint per game allowed. So this should allow Houston uh, should allow New Orleans to neutralize what is uh, one of Houston's uh, main threats. Um, I think that New Orleans wins this game. And I think it's also a very high scoring affair. I have the total right now at, I believe it's 226 and a half. I could be wrong. Yeah, it's down to 224 and a half in some places oh, now, wow. 225. So it's dropping like a stone, which wow. doesn't necessarily make me feel good about my decision to take the over. But I do like it at least with the four and a half points of value that I've been gifted from where the line was last night. So yeah. I like the Pelicans minus nine for a slight play, but I like the over a lot more. Okay, awesome. 
Yeah, this is another one where I didn't necessarily have a ton. I think just watching that last game between Houston and New Orleans, I liked what you said about Houston's points in the paint, but New Orleans limiting that. I felt like for the most part, Vucevic controlled the paint a lot more than Houston did. It felt like he had the strength to be able to do almost whatever he wanted inside against Sengun or Wood. Uh, I think it was Sengun on him a little bit more. And so I think this is a spot where New Orleans can take more control of the paint as long as Valanchunas doesn't get into foul trouble. Um, Houston is second to last in the league in rebounds per game, 42.5. And New Orleans is in the top half. They're not the best, but they're above the midway point at 45.3. So just another one of those things to say that I think in the paint, um, New Orleans should be able to do fine as long as there isn't foul trouble there. The other thing for New Orleans is, and this speaks to the over-under for me and possibly some positive regression. In the last six games at home, the Pelicans have only shot 28.2% from three-point range. Wow. Now they, they only shoot 33% at home on the season on average, but still, if you play out a 5% difference um, over the course of a game with the number of threes taken, that's still a pretty significant point difference. So I would like them to be able to recover a little bit, shoot a little bit better here. And I do agree, watching that last game, man, Ingram is is in a zone. He's just he's, such a difference he's maker. He's doing whatever he wants. Like, he's scoring. He had What did he have, like 12 or more assists again in the last game? Um, he's, he's being a distributor, which I wouldn't have thought about him as in the past. So I, I just think New Orleans is trending in a really positive direction overall, and Houston never is, you know. Um, I also, think, yeah, it really. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but just no, on, the, on the topic of branding, I mean, it really speaks to his development as a guy trying to be a star. I mean, you look at uh, this year, the Pelicans expected to have Zion Williamson. They definitely expected Brandon Ingram to be one of their stars, but I don't think they expected him to be the only one. And he has really had to find a way to step into that role, both as the playmaker with these assists and from a scoring and rebounding standpoint. I think it really speaks to his development as a player and uh, kind of. Looking at the Lakers in, in this deal that they made now, if, now that we're a couple years removed, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle. Now, I'm not a big Julius Randle fan, but those three combined, Anthony Davis not playing that many games makes you wonder what yeah. this team could have been like with those three guys. Uh, so I, I, I just think Brandon Ingram is a real big difference maker, and, and it speaks to their record with and without him. Yep. Um, last thing I'm going to throw in here is that uh, in the last 15 games on the road, Houston's plus minus is minus 9.7. So it's right around where this spread is, but they are playing a team that's playing well. And Alexander Walker, I looked and he's basically playing around 20 minutes. Some games quite a bit higher, some games lower, it's a but decent amount of minutes around 20. So to miss. You know, a lot of times, though, I feel like when this happens, especially in the short term, it's not like he's out for the season, like they're getting McCollum back. A lot of times other guys step up in a one game sample. I feel what like. I was going to say is that look for someone in the guard spot like Jose Alvarado, yep. who's been a big, you know, do everything, you know, jack of all trades, master of none kind of guy. Uh, great in. I mean, if you're a DFS player. Uh, great in those formats and good for player props, probably as well. If you're looking at points, plus rebounds, plus assists. Yep, absolutely. So, all right, pretty much, uh, pretty much the same spot on that one. Then uh, next up, we have the Pistons going to the Mavericks, who have been playing better on defense again. Dallas is minus twelve in this game, maybe eleven and a half some places. Uh, Two thirteen and a half is what I have for the total. Yeah. Um, so this game was kind of tough for me, and it's not a big play whatsoever because I never like taking uh, the Pistons. Spoiler alert. Um, but, 
this is really dependent on if Cade Cunningham plays because if he doesn't, um, he's a game time decision and they're one in 11 without him this season, averaging 100 points a game and 15 turnovers on 40, 31, 75 splits. So just really bad in all in all facets. Uh, Dallas, obviously, as we've talked about before, is the second best defensive rating since January 1st. Detroit's 25th. Detroit, however, has lost even in their four straight losses has lost each of these games by 13 or less points. So that is something to look out for. They've stayed in all of them. Dallas in their four straight, uh, not four straight wins, but in their last four games has had a winning or losing margin below 10 points. Uh, Dallas is also 12 and 17 against the spread after a win. Detroit is 23 and 17 against the spread after a loss. Uh, Detroit is actually better against the West against the spread than they are against the East. They're only 11 and 13 against the West, which is not that bad. Dallas is 7-11-1 against the spread against the East. Uh, and neither team scores too well on one day of rest, which I saw the total being really low, so that doesn't yeah. really make me want to take the under. But it does make me think that Vegas thinks this might be a closer game than intended, and that's why the line has dropped to 11.5 and, and 11 in a lot of places. So I like Detroit at plus 11.5, plus 12 if you can find it. Um, I, it's not a pretty bet. It's not one that you're going to you know, send to your buddies and be like, everybody take Detroit plus 12. Uh, but it's one that I'm going to take. And if it hits, I'll be proud of it. And if it doesn't, I'll act like it never happened. <laughs> what, I, what I hear you saying is Detroit plus 11 and a half is your lock of the century. That's absolutely <laughs> of course. the year. Of course. Awesome. Well, I, so I'm going to throw a, a good a good bit of numbers out here on this game. This is one that I'm interested in, but there's a little bit of a clash in turn. I think actually where Vegas has the total set is really instructive because this is a game I could kind of see going either way in terms of scoring. And so where the total is does tell you what kind of game Vegas thinks it's going to be. Um, so, okay, uh, Dallas, sorry, I have to read my notes here. Dallas has won five straight at home. Two of those were by 10 or more points. You alluded to that. They've held opponents to 105 or less in nine out of their last 10 at home. So we talked about they've been playing good defense. But here's what's more interesting to me. Their scoring at home in that stretch hasn't really been that great. They scored 132 against Indiana, but in seven more games at home, the most they scored was 107. 104 twice, 103 twice, 102 and 101. So not scoring a ton. Um, Detroit does not score great versus top 10 defenses, but it's a little up and down. Um, so in their last seven, they have four games that are under 100 points, but they do have 108, 112, and 115 as well against those kind of defenses. Detroit does give up a lot of points on the road. I mean, I have all the numbers written out here, but most of them are 115 plus. Their defensive rating in their last seven away is 120.6 versus 114 at home. Um where their offensive rating in their last seven away is 105.2 versus 110.6 at home. So they're, they haven't been as good on the road as they have been at home. But there's a little bit of a clash here between Detroit tends to give up a ton of points on the road, but Dallas does not score much at home. <laughs> like they tend to, and that's why I say seeing Vegas's total makes me think they think it's going to be a low scoring low game. Scoring, and you know, both teams shoot terribly. Yeah. Not right. a game you want to watch kind of right. game. And Doesn't this just seem like the kind of game that the Mavericks inexplicably lose? I'm sorry, but like it just feels that way. They've won five straight at home or whatever. You know, they they look great defensively, but isn't this just the kind of game that they lose for no reason? I'm not saying Pistons money line, but right, like, right. but like it just seems like this is not a game they're not going to perform well in. 
Well, and it's another one of those when the spread is this big, where you get those backdoor covers coming in as well, where Dallas is up 18 points with five minutes left. So they kind of, you know, shut it down a little bit. And then Detroit ends up losing by nine, you know? Um, So I agree with you. I actually haven't made a play on it yet, but I do have written down here that Detroit would be the side I'm interested in. The Pistons also are four, one and one against the spread in their last six games at Dallas. So that's another thing just to throw on that side. I'm not too interested in the total here because I think I would potentially lean over actually, but you have to, I don't feel strongly about it. So, so that's something I'll stay away from. So, yeah, I feel like if the game was, if the slate was smaller and we didn't have as many games, I might look at the over, but just with so many different plays that we could make on different yeah. games, I just haven't really made a decision on whether or not that's something I find value. And maybe if I see it drop another two points, that will yeah. uh, find a little value for me. But I don't know. Not necessarily right now. Yeah. And maybe it will. Uh, people like to bet. Un- and I sometimes like to bet unders when Dallas is playing. Depends Dallas on the and Detroit. I mean, come on. Yeah, right. Right. Absolutely. All right. For this next one, uh, I got to temporarily pull out the other hat. I got to find one. <laughs> we got the Knicks at the Nuggets. Denver is minus eight. Oh, my camera's going all crazy. It doesn't like the Nuggets hat. <laughs> there it is. You got Nuggets on one side here and Knicks on the other side. Although I think if we were going to bet on it, we both would want to bet on the side that was going to win. So Denver Absolutely. minus eight, uh, 219 and a half total. What do you think here as a Knicks fan? So, oh, as a Knicks fan or as a better? Yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can give me the better one. So, um, <laughs> Here's what I'll say on this game. The Knicks, I've, so I watch every Knicks game, as you know, so I I know a lot about this team. It has not been pretty. It has not been pretty by any means. Uh, First of all, the Knicks have lost seven of their last nine, and they're on a three games and four stretch on the back end of a back-to-back. Denver's won their last five matchups against the Knicks. What's weird is that the Knicks have, like, the best defense in the league on no rest. I don't know if you saw anything about Mm. that, but they only give up 101 points per game on 41, 33, 77 splits. So, it, you know, I saw that. And I was like, why aren't why aren't we better on no rest? And then I looked on the offensive side, and they score 100 points a game on no rest, which is like the second worst in the league on 42, 31, and 77% splits. Uh, so they're really, really bad offensively, but solid defensively. Uh, Denver, for what it's worth, shoots 48% on one day of rest from the field, so uh, fourth in the league. Defensively, they allow 107 points per game on one day of rest, 47, 34, 75 splits. Uh, So both teams are pretty good on their rest schedules with defense. Both teams are also bottom 10 in the league in pace. Both teams also top 15 in the league in defensive rating since January 1st. Uh, The issue I have with uh, my total here is that Denver hasn't scored under 100 points since January 11th. Uh, The Knicks haven't scored under 100 in two weeks. The Knicks are five and two against the spread with no rest and 15 and 14 against the spread after a loss. Denver is 12 and 16 against the spread after a win and eight and 11 as home favorites. The Knicks are actually one of the best teams in the league against centers this year. Uh, Stats wise, they give up only 19 points per game, 14 rebounds per game and three assists per game to all centers in the game. Uh, All good numbers respectively to the league. It still is tough because it's Jokic. And he's better than every other, most other centers in the league, if not every other center in the league. But it does make things definitely harder on him. I do lean with the Knicks spread here at plus eight, and I like the under at 220. I see it at 220 at a couple books. 
Um, but 219 and a half is, is is pretty much the same thing, just without a push possibility. Uh, so I do like the under there as well. I prefer, I guess if I had to choose one, I'd choose um, the Knicks play just because I don't like how great Denver has been offensively recently. And the Knicks being on no rest, despite being good defensively on no rest, that's still always not necessarily a big sample size because teams don't play on no rest that often. The Knicks have played two, five, seven games on no rest. So it's not necessarily a huge sample size. Um, so I, I do nece- I, I don't necessarily ne- know if the under is the best shout there, but I do think that they will play better um, than expected against Jokic because of their stats against centers. And Mitchell Robinson had a phenomenal game last night, albeit against the team without Rudy Gobert. So I definitely want to hear your angle on this game from the Nuggets side. I'm definitely a bit biased <laughs> no matter how much I try to uh, put numbers in front of emotions. Uh, but I do like the Knicks plus eight and under 219 and a half. All right. Apparently, I'm going to be biased too. This is the first one where I'm I'm going to end up going the other way on both counts. Uh, but shocker. let me let me. I know it is a shocker, but but here's the thing: uh, everything like I don't have a bet on the on the spread, and I don't think I'm likely to take one because I think it's too wide for a lot of the reasons you shared. The way that the Knicks play on back to backs, the fact that they do have a good defense and do play well against centers, even if they haven't done as well away from home as they do at home. So, like, that's the points they've allowed away from home in their last seven games. Let's see, is it seven or eight? Seven games away from home. They've allowed under 108 one time, and that was to the Cavaliers without Garland, who I I think really struggle offensively, obviously, when he's out. So 108 or more in the other six games away from home here recently. Um, In uh, Denver, like you said, they've scored 115 or more in seven out of their last 10 games, which is they have, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a team. I talked about this on actually another podcast today, but Denver feels like a team that's totally flipped to me early on in the year. The only way they won was by playing incredible defense at home. They held teams under a hundred points a game. They'd eke out wins, you know, one Oh three to 99 or something like that. And in the last couple of weeks, it's completely switched where they're actually allowing other teams to score quite a few points, but they're just going off offensively. Uh, in their last eight home games, they're averaging 121.1 points on 50.3% field goal shooting, 40.3% three-point shooting, and 19.3 free throw attempts a game. Now, on the one hand, you could say they can't keep that up, and I might tend to agree with you that they won't keep it up at that level. But this also I feels think like they might. Well, yeah, it feels like they've done it long enough now that it's like they've figured something out. Not like they played well on offense for three days and then they're going to regress back to where they were. So, um, well, something can I can I say yeah, something yeah, about ahead, that real ahead, quick? Yeah, well, sure. something I've noticed is that their pace has dropped significantly over the course of the year and their offensive efficiency since January 1st, they're third in the league. I think something that they've really, and this is just my take on it. This is not necessarily how it's gone. This is just my guess as to how this has happened. You have Nikola Jokic, one of the best front court players in the league. Also not one of the fastest. So when no. you stop running in transition as much and you run more of a half-court set, I realize they're missing Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, but when you do it this way, what that allows them to do, they made the trade for Bryn Forbes. You surround him with yep. shooters. He's going to attract attention, especially more so in a half-court setting when teams have to account for him getting the ball in the post and getting him on the offensive boards. So now that they've slowed down a bit, I think they've realized that when they work through Jokic and 
he works from the inside out rather than from the outside in running up and down the court, which is not his specialty, that they can really control the pace of play to their standards, not necessarily trying to play up or down with other teams. So I think that's something that Mike Malone really should get a lot of credit for um, changing up the, you know, losing two of your best players or the two best players besides Nikola Jokic on the team is really, really difficult, especially pretty much both in the beginning of the year. Um, Murray obviously being out from the start of last year, but I just, a lot of credit to this team. And I think that's why they can keep it up is because if they just keep working with their pace and working in a half court set with Nikola Jokic as their centerpiece, rather than trying to run up and down the court and get those transition threes, they realize now they can get the same open threes by having people double Jokic. Right. So I think it's, I think that's one of the reasons why it's going to stick for them. Yeah, man. I like it. That's great analysis. Uh, yeah, f- fantastic. I think it's probably spot on. So, and I like to hear that as a, as a Nuggets fan, I want it to continue. So, uh, two more things I'm going to throw in here. The first one is some trends. So we did talk about the Knicks are, uh, two and five to the over on back to back. So they have played to the under on back to backs, but let me throw a few others in there that, um, the over is nine and two in the Knicks last 11 games versus a team with a winning record. The over is seven, one and one in the Nuggets last nine home games. And the over is four and one in the last five meetings between these two teams, specifically in Denver. So I think there are some pretty strong trends toward the over between these two teams. And the last angle I threw will throw in is in this matchup specifically, I checked out some of the offensive defensive ratings by quarter. And if the game is close at the end of the first half, I would be interested in a play on the Nuggets for the third quarter only. Their offensive rating in the third quarter is 123.2, and their defensive rating is 91. Um, you don't even need to there. tell me what the Knicks offensive Let- rating is in the third quarter. <laughs> 85.8, man. It's bad. I knew 85? Well, no, no, no. So this is their last seven away games. Uh, it's Still. Last eight home games for Denver, last seven away games for the Knicks. And that's what I'm saying. And then their defensive rating in that quarter, 117.3, which is by quite a bit their worst quarter defensively. So I like that play at halftime if the game is close uh, on the Nuggets for the third quarter as well. You know, I definitely think that's smart, and I might have to make a little hedge uh, if that <laughs> is the case. Because that, I mean, that does fit the trend of what I've seen with the Knicks. Is you know, especially in that game against the Lakers, I don't want to take up too much time because we're running low. But um, yeah, yeah, they started out. I, I, every I have a couple of friends who are Lakers friends, uh, and they were all complaining. And I said, we are more capable than a th- of a thirty point half than we are of a seventy point half. So Ooh. if we just had a seventy point half. Best believe there's a 30 point half. There's a 30 point half coming. We scored 13 points in the second, in the third quarter of that game. 13. (laughs) We got outscored. Malik Monk outscored us that quarter. So I definitely agree that that third quarter play is definitely viable. Um, I I worry that Vegas might be on it, but whatever. That's true. But whatever it is, they can't, they can't, you can't have a third quarter spread of like over five. You wouldn't think so. So, I mean, yeah, it's more, it's more than possible. Yeah, it's, it's more than plausible that that's the case. I've been looking at some of those quarter offensive defensive ratings over the last few weeks, and that's definitely the most dramatic, like on each side that I've that seen a for a specific quarter. Point swing. So, 30, yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, it's yeah. A, all right. Next game. Next game. All right. Next game. <laughs> next game. Bucks at the Lakers. Milwaukee minus four and a half, 231. Pretty high total here. What do you think? Yeah, this is a, another game I kind of have to wait on injuries. I The Lakers are trying – like, it's a weird comparison, but it seems like they try to be like Bill Belichick and just hold everyone uh, as a game-time decision until right before the game starts. 
uh, which is, you know, a good strategy if you're trying to make teams, you know, worry about how to defend certain people and who's going to be the main focus in the game. But it sucks as a better because I have no idea if AD or LeBron are going to play or not. They probably are. Um, but if they don't, I can't make a play on them and then get absolutely torched on my line um, when they eventually yep. get ruled out if they do, even if one of them is. Um, LeBron, I mean, the Lakers are great. on This is another team that's great on one side but terrible on the other with their splits. Uh, they're great offensively on two days of rest. They score 113 points per game on 46, uh, 38, 73 splits. Not great free throw shooting, but 38% from three is pretty good. Uh, on defense, however, they are one of the worst teams in the league to give up 116 points a game on 47, 39, 77 splits, which is somehow worse than their uh, offense or better, depending on how you think about it. Um on one day of rest, Milwaukee scores 113 a game, shooting 46, 35, 79 splits. The offensive and defensive ratings for the Lakers are below are bottom 15 in the league since January 1st. Milwaukee has won six of their last nine. Five of those six wins were by double digits. Milwaukee is also playing their third game in four days on the road, which is kind of worrisome. Uh, and the Lakers are 13 and 10 against the spread at home against the Eastern Conference. So there are uh, edges for both sides. If LeBron and AD play, uh, the line probably gets more uh, difficult, honestly, because it probably gets closer to uh, a one and a half or pick'em situation. Uh, I know it's probably. I think right now it's down to three and a half already. Uh, let me check. Yeah, confirm. I think it was three and a half. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. it's three and a half now. So yeah. I mean. I don't. I'm probably, I'll probably lose all value on it, but I also don't want to take it now in case either of them don't play because they all, they both do have actual injuries that they are somewhat ailing from. They're just playing through them, so that makes me more nervous than if it was just a rest situation uh, because they have the rest advantage here. But I don't have a play on this game until I know if LeBron or AD are playing, and if they are, I kind of like the Lakers. Great. Uh, I actually am going to be the same though. I don't know. It's the strongest case I have today, but, uh, the, the other thing, like you're saying about whether they play or not is the Lakers are on the front end of a back-to-back -back here. And so I think it's even more so, I mean, it's always something to watch with the Lakers, but I think even more so given that they're that in that spot, you know, we talked in the last game about how the nuggets have been really consistent offensively over the last couple of weeks, and maybe just are trending more positive. The Bucs are a good offensive team, but I feel like this is a team that's actually really inconsistent offensively. Um, they scored 137 points in their last two games straight. And I looked back, and this is super small sample size, so I wouldn't put too much stock in this, but I, I share it to make a point. The only other time they've come close to that, they scored 136 in two straight games. And the next game, they scored 106. Like, if you look back over their game log, they absolutely can put out these massive offensive outputs but they don't tend to do it consistently over a long period of time and so like even if you look recently 137 137 before that they had 112 100 123 99 in their last six so like yes decent scoring but there's a hundred and a 99 in there like it's it's just hard for me to hang my hat on the bucks having an offensive explosion even though like you said the lakers are not a good defensive team so it theoretically could be a good spot for them offensively um i think this also, is a the little lakers are worse against guards than they are against big ben and that does benefit mm -hmm. them in this matchup where they're the best players on the Bucks are, I mean, Drew Holiday, you could argue Drew Holiday is better than Chris Middleton, He's, but it's, it's right. Chris Middleton is the all-star technically. Um, so even if people don't agree with that, I might not either. Um, but Chris Middleton and Giannis are both big men and that does bode well 
uh, or bode better for the Lakers defense than if it was uh, the other way around. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, one stat kind of going against my lean toward the Lakers here is the Bucks do have a, a better point differential against the Western Conference, 6.6 versus 2.7 versus the East. So a little bit of a difference there. But, you know, those stats, like, I do like looking at them, but at the same time, you'd have to go and dive into exactly what the schedule Who they played. Was. Right, like, like, what if they played the Thunder twice play? and then the Kings? Exactly, exactly. And, and, you know. So I like to look at it, but that's why I don't put too much stock in it. So at plus three and a half, it makes me a little bit nervous. It had gotten all the way to five a little earlier. I guess I wish I would have jumped on that. But at the yeah, same time, but it does make me think that what, AD and LeBron are leaning towards playing. But can I really right. can I really stake my money on that? Like, do I yeah. really I'm, am, I, am I is it really smart money to put that down before I'm sure that those two are playing? Exactly. And I don't think so. And with this total, too. I mean, I can definitely see this game going over. Some of the numbers you shared earlier even added up to about 230. But at the same time, it's the inconsistency of the Bucks is what makes me kind of hesitant on that. I mean, this feels like a total where both teams need to play well offensively and both teams are capable of coming out and not playing well offensively. So uh, personally, I'd stay away from the total where it's at right now. Yeah, I mean, 231 is a bit high. Uh I do just the, the Lakers have been so bad on defense on two days yeah. of rest. I don't necessarily think that I can bear myself to take an under when they're playing a team like Milwaukee that shoots very well on their uh, rest schedule. But anyway, we got a uh, we got two Same. more games to go through. So yeah, let's, let's do it, knock man. Them out. All right, next up is the Magic at the Blazers. Portland minus three and a half. I don't know how much that's moved since the McCollum news. I'm it has moved a, a lot. Okay, it is what's now, it now it is Orlando minus one, I believe. Orlando that's, minus I, last one. time I checked, it was Orlando minus one, and that's what it is right now. Yeah. All right. I'm going to just change it on here so that we have the uh, right number real quick. The total magically is now we have uh, Portland 220. So the, the total come down some as well to 220. Yeah. Uh, what do you um, think with all the changes here? This was one of the toughest games for me to evaluate, and I even considered not taking a play on it. Um, but because he, here's my reasoning. So Portland's one the last 10 matchups against Orlando. They're also weirdly one of the best offensive teams uh, in the league on two days of rest, scoring 119 points a game on 49-39, uh, 76 splits on seven different occasions. So that's a decent amount of sample size, but they are going to be missing a lot of people, uh, including CJ McCollum. I also believe Larry Nance is in that deal. He's gone too. Um, yep. Orlando's playing their third game in four days which is also not something I love, but Portland has a very, very short bench. Now I believe they have four guys on the bench. It's Watford, uh, Smith, uh, Trenton Watford, uh, Dennis Smith, Greg Brown, and someone whose first name I can't pronounce, but his last name is Blevins. Um, they're all not guys that get that much time to begin with. Um, so Portland has the trends right now, but objectively speaking, like if you look at the lineup of this team, for the Portland Trailblazers. There is no defense. It's Anthony Simons, Ben McLemore, CJ. This is the projected lineup. CJ Ellaby, Justice Winslow, and Yusuf Nurkic, with the bench being Watford, Smith, Brown, and Blevins. No small forward even off the bench because Brown's a power forward technically. So, I mean, looking at the strengths of the Magic and, like, their three through five being their biggest positions, there's not much depth there. Nurkic has been getting in some foul trouble lately. I think also, if I'm not mistaken, I'll check again, but I believe that the Blazers are like really bad against centers regardless. 
yeah, they give up the most points per game to centers at 25.8 points per game. Um, So I look for Mo Bamba and Franz Wagner to have big games because Portland also gives up, hold on, 24 points per game as well as eight rebounds per game uh, to small forwards that they play against. So Franz Wagner being a seven-foot small forward should definitely have an advantage on those numbers. Portland has absolutely – like if they have a problem with any of the players on Orlando, they have no answer defensively for any of them. Um, So it's a tough play for me. It's not a big play for me by any means, but I do like the magic at minus one here because I think they are the deeper team. Uh, Their defensive rating since January 1st, for what it's worth, has actually been decently strong. It's been their offense that's been the problem. They have the 13th ranked defense since January 1st, a defensive rating of 110. Um, And if Portland is not able to generate offense, which I just, there's so many question marks with that roster right now in between the, the day between the trade yeah. It's just too much for me to really compute whether or not. Like, if I bet on the Blazers, they very well could put out less than 85 points, which they did against the Thunder right. recently. Right. Yeah. So it's not at all out of the question. That was when they had CJ McCollum. So I think the Magic are the pick in this game. I don't necessarily, once again, I don't like that I have the Magic and the Pistons yes. today. <laughs> it's not a good, like, sounds like a parlay. No, God, no, but it's not a good omen by any means, but um, it's what the numbers or it's not even the numbers. This is what my intuition is telling me on this one. Um, The numbers, the trends kind of do favor Portland, but the trends favor Portland with the players they had, not the ones they have now. Yep, that's right. So I won't add too much here, but I actually with where this game is at now really kind of do like Orlando a good bit. So a couple trends, Portland's three, seven and one on the front end of back to backs in regulation. They had one game go to overtime, but they're three and five on two days of rest against the spread as well. And you talked about how how Orlando has been offensively challenged. And that is, I, I would still agree with that, but they have scored 110 or more in four of their last five on the road, which is really good for them. Encouraging, um, especially against a team like Portland here who has no defense. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's a really recent trend, but I actually like, I mean, some of the numbers on Suggs look better recently. He was not good early on in the year. He was like one of my favorite draft picks. I really want him to succeed. I'm so happy he's playing well well right now. And like you said, I think Wagner's a good player. I think there's actually a lot of talent on Orlando. And I think they sound like a team, I, I try to read about the different teams, and they sound like a team that even though they're losing a lot is staying together and kind of for each other and want to continue to improve. So they've got to be one good. of the youngest rosters in the league. I yeah, mean, yeah, Scruggs, right. Anthony Wagner, Wendell Carter might be one of their old, not Wendell, yeah, <laughs> Wendell Carter might be one of their oldest players. He might be, which Franz isn't very Wagner, old. Bomba, so, maybe Mo Bamba is one of their oldest. Like, they're starting yeah. lineups like all under 25. So it's they definitely young, know yeah. that it's, there's a lot of up, upwards. Yep. So, ahead. so yeah. So I, so I like, I actually really like the magic actually at this line, given the changes that have happened and where I think the magic are. I hadn't made a play on it yet. I hadn't seen where the line had moved, but I think this is one I'll probably get in on. So, uh, all right, so here's what we're going to do for the last game. Unfortunately, I have a deadline today where I got to yeah. jump off, but uh, I have a lot on this next game because you know I like the Timberwolves. So I'm going to I'm gonna actually throw mine out a little later when I get a chance. I, okay. Since you're here, I want you to give me what you've got on this game for now. I don't have much on it, honestly. Um, it's, I wrote next to the pick that I made uh, in parentheses, but I don't feel good about it, okay. um, <laughs> which kind of just fits the trend for the rest of the day, I guess. Um, but... 
Sacramento scores 111 points per game uh, on one day of rest, 45, 37, 75 splits. They give up 116 on 46, 39, 79 splits on the same rest schedule. That's not good. Um, Fox is a game time decision. Uh, they're three and nine without him scoring 104 points a game, averaging 14 turnovers a game. The Wolves have the best offensive rating in the league since January 1st. I think that yeah. needs to be underlined in my notes. It's not. It should. Kings are 19th in offensive rating. Minnesota has scored over 118 points in the last five games. Kings have not scored more than 114 points since January 22nd. The Kings are also last in points per game allowed, points in the paint per game allowed against a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. That's always dangerous, even though he has not necessarily. I looked for his points prop, and it just wasn't necessarily. It's at 24, 26, and I think that he's only been averaging like 22, 23 over the last couple games, so not my style there. But my pick is Minnesota minus five. Um, I think that's where it is now. Don't feel great about it because I don't necessarily love if De'Aaron Fox plays Minnesota's defense, and I think this is going to be a high-scoring game uh, in those kinds of games. You never really know. And if De'Aaron Fox plays, then Tyrese Halliburton plays much better. That's just yeah. he's been playing terribly yep. without him. He needs to be the second option to him. And if he is, then that's going to open up a lot of avenues that I don't necessarily love. But as of right now, Fox has missed the last couple games. Um, I like the T Wolves here, especially with Carl Anthony Towns putting in a good performance. T Wolves minus five. I have five seconds to spare. Dude, uh, I like I like where your head's at. I'll share mine later on Twitter, but I like where your head's at. All hey, right. real quick. Uh, remind people, remind me it's, uh, on Twitter. If people want to find you so they can check out all the stuff you're doing, uh, at, at source podcast 11. Is that right? You can find us on Twitter at source podcast 11 or on our website, www.sourcepodcast.com. You mentioned use bet stamp. We use, uh, we're partnered with a company called sharp rank. Uh, they have an app that kind of tracks, uh, some of the smartest betters out there. Um, not all of them, obviously, but some of them, uh, so if you want to get over there and check out our page there, my uh, account name is Source Podcast Schiller. Um, other than that, uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, I think we're on Amazon Music now as well. Yeah, at the Source nice. Podcast with Joe Goddard and Sam Hiller. Kind of a long spelled that name, but we want to make sure you're able to find us. So uh, that's it for me with my shameless plugs. Uh, really appreciate you having me back on here. It's a load of fun Dude. as always. and. Hopefully I love we it. can make this a weekly occurrence or something like that. Absolutely, man. I enjoy it a ton. Please do go check out Source Podcast. A ton of awesome content. I said this last time, but I've been following them for a while. Um, and just good content year round. So, and real quick, uh, my Twitter handle is on the screen at NBA Attack. If you want to find the podcast version of this, the YouTube version, whatever, just go click on my profile. All the links are there. Big Thanks tasty. for tuning. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Big I love tasty. that. Yeah, that's, exactly. Big that's what draws you that's in. Name, so. that draws you in. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. It was kind of a tongue in cheek thing at first, but it's stuck, and I'm all right with it. So I love it. Uh, Appreciate everybody watching. Hopefully you found some good angles today. Best of luck to everybody, and we'll see you on the next one. Have a great day.